Hi folks, welcome again to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski. Now, thanks to the Sports History Network, a signed copy of my new book, The 2003-Yard Odyssey, The Juice, The Electric Company, and an Epic Run for a Record, will be given away to one lucky fan. It's all about the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Please check out the Sports History Network online for details on how you can win a free copy of my new book on the 1973 Buffalo Bill. Thanks a lot for listening in to today's episode, folks. Look forward to chatting with you again soon in the future. Take care. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back, sports fans, to another edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and this is the place where we put a historical spin on current sports headlines as well as celebrate the anniversaries of the greatest sports moments in history. Now, in this week's show, we will discuss the city of Indianapolis, which is the focus of the sports world this week as well as its place in the history of college basketball. That will be this week's main event. Also, the top five will feature several great moments from the Final Four, which were celebrating anniversaries this past week. And finally, our shout-out, which will deal with one of the greatest college basketball coaches ever, who is also one of the greatest players ever, and also, incidentally, who comes from Indiana. So stay tuned for all of that, but right now, we're going to go headlong into this week's main event. This week, college basketball crowns a new champion for the 2021 season, one year after the tournament was canceled due to the pandemic. With a reduced number of fans, the tournament was no less exciting. You want an example, just take a look at the last seconds between UCLA and Gonzaga in overtime. This year's Final Four is taking place in Indianapolis, where in Indiana, basketball is more than just a sport. It's a secular religion. As the slogan became famous, during the 1990s and the postseason of the NBA, everywhere else is just basketball. But this is Indiana. Basketball in Indiana is as big as football in Texas. It's a religion, plain and simple. Since 1980, Indianapolis has hosted the Final Four more times than any other American city. And including this year's Final Four here at the Circle City, It has hosted the Final Four a record eight times, more than any other American city since that time, and second most all-time behind Kansas City. This week's main event, we're going to take a look 
at some of those times that Indianapolis has hosted the Final Four and its one shining moment. It all began in 1980 in Market Square Arena, which was the brand new home of the Indiana Pacers and was the Pacers' longtime home until the mid-1990s. And Market Square Arena was the site of the very first Final Four in Indianapolis, where Louisville, UCLA, Indiana, and Purdue came to contest the national title that year. In the championship game, Louisville would knock off UCLA 59-54 to as Cardinals guard Daryl Griffith nabbed uh, most outstanding player honors for the Cardinals, which won their very first national championship under former UCLA head basketball assistant coach Denny Crum. It was the first time in the history of the Final Four that year that no number one seeds had reached the Final Four. And it was one of those really great moments in the history, not only the history of the Louisville program, which would become a powerhouse in the 1980s, but it put Indianapolis on the map of hosting a great Final Four. And of course, the NCAA would return time after time after time. In 1991, the, the Final Four would return to, the, to Indianapolis, but this time in the Hoosier Dome. The, the home of the Indianapolis Colts at the time. And that was one of the most highly anticipated Final Fours ever, with Duke, Kansas, UNLV, and North Carolina coming to town. UNLV was the headlining team that year because they were the number one team in the country as well as undefeated. They had defeated Duke the year before in the national championship game up in Denver by 30 points, which is one of the largest margins of victory in the history of the championship game. But those two teams would meet up in the semifinals, and it turned out to be one of the most exciting games of the decade in college basketball. Duke's uh, two-point win, 79-77, to in the national semifinals would eliminate UNLV and deny them a second-straight national title. Duke would go on to defeat Kansas 72-65 to in the championship game and Kansas was led by Roy Williams, who just recently retired. And that was his first ever trip to a championship game as a head coach. As we all know, he was a longtime head coach, longtime assistant coach under Dean Smith at North Carolina. And Duke's Christian Leitner that year was the name's, uh, the tournament's most outstanding player. A few years later, the, the tournament would come back, well, Final Four for that matter, would come back to the RCA Dome. In 1997, between Arizona, Kentucky, Minnesota, and North Carolina would return. Arizona would end up winning the national title, knocking off Kentucky 84-79 to in overtime. Uh, Wildcats guard Miles Simon of Arizona would be named the tournament's most outstanding player. One of the biggest uh, things about that tournament was that Arizona came into that came into the tournament and became the first team to knock off three number one seeds on their way to a national title. No school had ever done that before, winning the first ever national title. Kansas, they knocked off Kansas in the Sweet 16, then North Carolina in the national semifinal, and then ultimately Kentucky for the national title. Arizona was led by other freshmen, named Mike Bibby and Jason Terry, who would go on to have stellar NBA careers. And they were the first school ever to win a national championship without a single senior on the team. 
So they pretty much had a stable contingency for the remainder of the decade, though they wouldn't return to a Final Four. In 2000, the Final Four will come back to Indianapolis once again, with Michigan State, Florida, North Carolina, and Wisconsin coming to the Circle City for the Final Four. Michigan State behind Mateen Cleves and Morris Peterson would knock off Florida 89-76 to for the school's second national title, their first since 1979, and Magic Johnson. Mateen Cleves would be named the tournament most outstanding player as Michigan State was the only number one seed to reach the Final Four that year. Florida was number five, while North Carolina, Wisconsin was number eight seeds. And that climaxed the tournament that had more upsets, more lower-seeded teams winning than any other tournament before or perhaps since. In 2006, right back in the RCA Dome, the Final Four would take place with Florida, UCLA, George Mason, and LSU being the four teams still standing at the end of that tournament. Florida would claim their first ever national title as they defeated UCLA 73-57 to in the finals. Joe Kim Noah would be named the tournament's most outstanding player, and it would be the first time since 1980 that no number one seeds would reach the Final Four. George Mason was the second 11th seed to play in the Final Four, while the, four, well, the Final Four would be the last one ever to be played in the RCA Dome. The next ones would be played at the new home of the Indianapolis Colts, Lucas Oil Stadium, where this year's Final Four is taking place. In 2010, Duke will return to the Final Four again in Indianapolis, but with this time, hometown team Butler, along with West Virginia and Michigan State, coming back in 2010. Duke would defeat Butler 61-59, while Kyle Singler will be named the series, the uh, finals, uh, the uh, tournament's most outstanding player. The title game was very notable and could have had one of the most dramatic endings in Final Four history, as Gordon Hayward's last-second desperation heave from from midcourt clanged off the backboard and did not go in. But it could have been one of the greatest single-game endings in Final Four history, maybe even in tournament history. It was the first, again, it was the first Final Four contested at Lucas Oil Stadium with West Virginia making its first ever appearance in the Final Four, you know, which since 1959 when he had Jerry West and Hot Rod Hundley on their team. It was the first Final Four in 25 years to feature two private schools in the, in the final since 1985 when Georgetown was upset by Villanova. And the last one right before this year was in 2015. Duke again would win a national title in Indianapolis, marking their third time winning the championship in that city. Along with Duke would be Wisconsin, Kentucky, and Michigan State. Tyus Jones would be named the tournament's most outstanding player as Kentucky entered the Final Four as undefeated but lost in the semifinals as they were upset by Wisconsin. That year's Final Four continued the great tradition as long as this one, continuing the great tradition of Final Fours taking place in the Circle City. What we have in store for us for this final, we shall see. And it's proof positive that wherever, everywhere else is just basketball. But for the exciting moments in the history of college basketball taking place in Indianapolis, it proves that this place is very, very special for the sport of basketball. And now, this week's Top 5.
Welcome back. You are tuned in to this week's edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and right now we're going to go into this week's top five, marking the anniversaries of the one of some of the best sporting events that took place between the dates of March the 29th and April the 3rd. Coming in at number five from 1973, Ken Norton would defeat Muhammad Ali in San Diego as one, one of the biggest upsets in the history of boxing. Muhammad Ali actually would suffer a broken jaw in this fight with Ken Norton as he became the number one contender to face then heavyweight champion Joe Frazier for the heavyweight title. And actually, but this would be the first of three bouts between Muhammad Ali and Ken Norton, as Muhammad Ali would knock would, would beat would beat him the next two times in their matchups. In number four, Indiana wins his fifth national title by beating Syracuse this week back in 1987. This final four would take place in New Orleans with Key Smart pacing the Hoosiers in the second half and his signature moment of the tournament with his baseline jump shot. With less than five seconds left to knock off Syracuse to claim Indiana's fifth national title. And actually their last national title. And that took place in New Orleans. Number three, speaking of Indiana, in 1976. And a lot of people have been talking about this over the last few weeks because of Gonzaga's chance of winning its a national championship being undefeated. 1976, Indiana it became the last team to go wire-to-wire wire undefeated as they knocked off Michigan in Philadelphia to claim the national championship and being in doing so undefeated, led by the likes of Ken Benson and Scott May and Quinn Buckner. And that would mark the first time between Indiana and Michigan that the national championship game would be played between two teams that hail from the same conference. Indiana, of course, and Michigan, each part of the Big Ten. Number two, one of the greatest championship games ever to take place, once again, in New Orleans, with loads and loads of Hall of Famers on the court on that night. 1982, North Carolina versus Georgetown, one of the most climactic endings to a Final Four, as North Carolina would claim a national championship, the first under head coach Dean Smith, as North Carolina would knock off Georgetown 63-62. to 62. Of course, you know, do you remember the iconic jump shot by Michael Jordan along the left wing over, over a couple of Georgetown defenders as North Carolina would claim a national championship and then the unfortunate error by Fred Brown throwing the errant pass to James Worthy to end it. That was one of the greatest finals ever between Indiana and Georgetown with a number of Hall of Famers on the team with James Worthy winning most outstanding player. You had Patrick Ewing on the side. You had Eric Sleepy Floyd. You had Sam Perkins on that team. It was just so many great players on that team and on the court that night in New Orleans, which was actually the first Final Four ever to take place in the Crescent City. And number one, possibly the biggest upset in the history of the Final Four. Georgetown losing to Villanova in 1985 in Lexington, Kentucky. 
what I consider a lot of uh, basketball purists and historians called the perfect game. Heading into that game, a lot of prognosticators and a lot of basketball experts said that Villanova needed to play a perfect game in order to claim a national championship and upset Georgetown. Well, actually, they did just that. Shooting well over 70% for the game, Villanova had just was on fire, on fire so much, in fact, they, they only missed one shot in the entire second half. That's right, they missed only one shot in the second half to beat Georgetown by one and became the first number eight seed to win a national title, lowest seed ever, in fact, to win a national title. So that wraps up this week's top five. Go through them again. Number five, Ken Norton defeats Muhammad Ali in 1973. Number four, Indiana wins his fifth national title, beating Syracuse in New Orleans in 1987. Number three, Indiana goes undefeated in 76. Number two, North Carolina gives Dean Smith his first national title and an absolute classic against Georgetown. And number one, Georgetown loses in perhaps one of the biggest upsets in sports history, loses to Villanova in Kentucky. That is this week's top five. And we're going to wrap up this week's show talking about one of the greatest college basketball coaches ever, as well as one of the great All-American players ever. That is this week's shout out. Don't miss it. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dana Augusta. And just a reminder, everybody, so if you like what you're hearing right now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that way you get notified anytime a new episode drops. And we try to drop an episode every Monday. So stay on the lookout for that. If you want to say hello or say hi or make a comment about the show, uh, you could don't forget to email me at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. Or if you want to get some daily dose of some sports history, you could check me out on Twitter at historicallysp2. So don't forget, check me out. There's a lot of different ways that you could check me out. There's a lot of different ways that you can contact the show. There's some uh, any kind of comments or compliments you want to hand out hey i'm all i'm all ears and i'm always open and this week's shout out we're going to take a look at someone and uh when you do shows like this sometimes you you something you just put you, you put it together and you have like accidentally run into like an underlying theme and this week is no different because we talked about the final fours in india indianapolis we talked about in the, in the top 10 we talked about the instances of the of Indiana winning the national title. And now on the shout out, continuing that Indiana theme, we're going to be talking about someone who hails from Mortonsville, Indiana, and is one of the primary icons of college basketball, one of not only one of the greatest players in the history of college basketball, but perhaps its greatest coach and greatest teacher. And of course, we're talking about a man by the name of John Robert Wooden. 
This week in 1975, he announced his retirement after UCLA claimed his 10th national title in 12 years. And some of his records that have laid behind are some records that you will never, ever see anyone even approach in the history of college basketball. His teams at UCLA from the mid-1960s through the mid-1970s, quite simply, were some of the greatest teams ever assembled through masterful recruiting as well as unbelievable coaching and teaching by this man. John Wooden was a three-time All-American at Purdue University during the 1930s, and after he left the game, as a player, he became a teacher, an English teacher in Indiana and coached high school basketball and later became a head coach for a short time at Indiana State University. In the late 1940s, he had a chance to leave Indiana State and he had a chance to coach at two different schools. UCLA was one of them and the other one was the University of Minnesota. As the day, as the story goes, he had a chance to finalize a deal to go to Minnesota, but for some reason, he couldn't get in contact with the with the school's representatives in Minneapolis because of a snowstorm. So, but the sun is shining out in UCLA, and he says that hey, I need a job. I might as well take the job at UCLA. He ends up going to UCLA, and within the space of 20 years, turn this school that had been constantly in the shadow of USC into a national basketball powerhouse. Pete Newell, the longtime rival of John Wooden at the University of California, summed up the dynasty this way when he said that in the beginning of the dynasty, he won with guards. In the middle of the dynasty, he won with centers. And at the end of the dynasty, he won with forwards. So he constantly evolved with the time with the one constant was his wins. And the great mark of any dynasty is not all the games that you win, but the notable games that you lose. One of the most notable was in 1968 when UCLA, led by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then known as Lou Alcindor, would lose to University of Houston in the Astrodome on January the 20th, 1968. That marked the first time a regular season college basketball game was ever televised nationally in prime time. Another moment was in 1974 when UCLA entered, entered South Bend, Indiana with an 88-game winning streak and ended up losing to Notre Dame and ending that, that long, long winning streak. But John Wooden was the center of it all. With all of his wins and all of his championships and a lot of his statistics are just unbelievable and mind-blowing to say the least. He had once had an 88-game winning streak, as I mentioned earlier, 10 national championships in 12 years, and one record that no one talks about but is just astounding, 38 consecutive wins in the NCAA tournament, which turned into seven consecutive national titles. Those records will never even be approached in the history of college basketball. So this week, this week's shout out is going towards one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time and one of my favorite teachers that I've ever read about, a man by the name of John Robert Wooden, a.k.a. the Wizard of Westwood. That will conclude this week's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun giving, bringing it to you. So until next week, you all have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time.
Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows... Or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you got to do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, Fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.